Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. We're about to get demolished. Are you ready for some demoliciousness? <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, we just watched, well, not just, but last week we watched Demolition Man. Yeah. We're going to talk about it. It's a movie. Do you guys remember it? It takes place in the future, guys. Yeah. Do you guys want to listen to the trailer? Sure. At the end of a century, ravaged by violence, a society of perfect order will arise. Criminals will be frozen and reprogrammed in cryogenic prisons. The prisoners are ice cubes. Their criminal instincts are being reprogrammed as they sleep. I'm going to love running this place. But in the year 2032, amidst a world of peace and calm. We're police officers. We're not trained for this kind of violence. In the end, it took just one man, John Spartan. You mean the demolition man? Two mortal enemies. Just jumped in and say hi. From another time. Pass is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Oh, hell. Unleashed on a future that isn't big enough for the both of them. Demolition Man. This movie has some issues. Yeah, I would say it is not a perfect film. The movie was made in 1993. Mm-hmm. The movie starts in 1996, where crime has gone crazy. Yeah, and Sylvester Stallone is fighting Wesley Snipes, and then they both get frozen in jail and wake up. Not that far into the future, and the world is very different. <laughs> I like that you very quickly just slipped over, like, they both get frozen in jail, and, uh, yeah, so they get frozen. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're In right. the future, the way that they keep these prisoners is by cryogenically freezing them, and then, right. you know, then in the future, what, 2032, you said? Yeah, that's when it takes place. Then it's, like, a beautiful, perfect, like, utopian society where nobody... Or co- dystopian society? Depending on how you look at it. But it's weirdly presented like it is a utopia, yeah. it, but it, it's definitely a dystopia. Like, everybody is always smiling, but nobody ever curses, and you, if there's a swear jar... Right. They've, and- like, outlawed spicy foods yeah. is one of the lines that, like, they're future perspective on today's society is like like you were saying they were not keeping their old manager yeah early on you could just kind of tell what the person's attitude is early you know yeah. when, when they're like what is this society and it's got like a nobody, bone to pick. nobody fucks anymore nobody has toilet paper they right. use these like three shells which nobody ever gets explained how the shells work yeah I Do mean you scrape it against your butt what you is probably <laughs> scrape it against your butt to scrape the poop off. And then they're like, ew, you like use toilet paper? And it's like, right. these nasty sh- seashells. I don't know. Totally. But- <laughs> that being said, this is the kind of movie that you have to rewatch and say like, was it just that I was a kid and didn't know what the fuck anything was and yeah. was a dumb dumb, or was I was it the '90s that made us all dumb dumbs? Because I remember a time when I was mm. like, that movie is good. Is like, and Wesley yeah. Snipes. I had a like major crush on Wesley Snipes, but it was like. He's attractive, and then then he's got like crazy bleach blonde hair, yeah, and he's well, got the two different colored eyes, which is heterochromia. We'll talk about that later. It's funny about the the bleach blonde hair thing because yeah. he regularly says the word the phrase Simon says in this movie. Mm-hmm. I got super confused in my memories because 
he looks kind of like Dennis Rodman. And then there was a movie that Dennis Rodman was in called Simon Says. <laughs> right. So in my memory, I was like, wait, was that Wesley Snipes or this? Dennis Rodman? He did have the... a very, ro- his hair was like all Rodman. Yeah. And then I looked it up and I saw that Rodman started making his look after Wesley Snipes in this movie. What? It was like months oh later, God. he like showed up with that hair and like the whole, his whole look started after him having seen and Wesley Snipes. here I thought that he was the one that started it. But nope. really, Simon Phoenix. Simon Phoenix. Is the one. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we got to talk about the Taco Bell element, oh. which is a famous element of this movie, where at some point... There in franchise wars. Yeah, there was the franchise wars, <laughs> and then now every restaurant is Taco Bell. Yeah. But I guess in the European version, they don't really have Taco Bell over there, or at least they didn't then. And so they had to digitally replace it with Pizza Hut. Right. Oh, but they have Pizza Hut. But then there was like still a bunch of references to Taco Bell in it. What about combination Taco Taco Hut and Pizza Bell? I don't think that that was intended Taco Hut and Pizza Bells. (laughs) You know. I don't think that those were around yet. Oh, bummer. Oh, right. Uh, I mean, that was facetiousness. How did they? We didn't even know. Yeah, Demolition Man predicted the future. It did. Well, yeah. I mean, and those in that way, there were there were parts that were reminiscent of you know RoboCop. This kind of yeah. In a world where corporate greed has taken over everything, and yeah, everything's been monopolized. That sort of thing. And then there's like an underground group of graffiti artists Mm -hmm. who are like by Dennis Leary. It's yeah. It and (laughs) they just let Leary go. Yeah. Like he does a full on Leary. Like he later did a song, or maybe it was earlier. I'll find out. (laughs) Called "I'm an Asshole," where he goes on this whole long. But it's a song. Speech. Yeah. And I'm gonna drive around in that baby at 115 miles per hour, getting one mile per gallon, sucking down quarter pound of cheeseburgers from McDonald's in the old fashioned non biodegradable styrofoam containers. And when I'm done sucking down those grease ball burgers, I'm gonna wipe my mouth with the American flag, and then I'm gonna toss the styrofoam containers right out the side, and there ain't a goddamn thing anybody can do about it. Also, I want to mention that apparently this movie was like plagiarized because uh, there was what? a novel called Fight of the Dead, which was published in 1986. And in the novel, a terrorist and his enemy, a counterterrorism soldier, are cryogenically frozen and awakened in the 22nd century to find that violence has been purged from society. A committee proved that 75% of the film is identical to the book. He chose not to do a lawsuit because it would have been too expensive for him to hire a lawyer. Oh, man. But, like, it, <laughs> it seems pretty clear that this was what just, like, plagiarized. What a position to be and be like, oh, I know... I mean, it yeah. happens all the time, but still, it's just yeah. like... Yeah, he didn't really get in on that. We also have Sandra Bullock, who is just a delight. Like, she bless is. her charm and charisma, but it's also, you know, she's the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, like, cop of today, mm-hmm. along Rob Schneider, who's like, hey, we're police officers. We're not meant to do anything, you right. know? Right, yeah. This, it's like, this, we can't handle this violence. What if they did what's more like today, where they're just, like, hyper-militarized, I know, and just, yeah. like, fucking war machines? Well, I guess that's what they were trying to show in the 96... Right. future to me it looked like it was a criticism where it's like yes. stallone old yeah. school italian yeah. stallion has to come in and be like oh let me show you how to have sex cut my balls you know yeah, like it, that kind of thing i wish that he had said cut my balls oh that was a side story i kept thinking of this whole time like a friend of a friend told me the story about how like her friend fucked stallone and she recorded him while they were doing it and he kept being like cut my balls oh man cut my balls and the only reason it sticks with you because like that's a voice that's gonna stick <laughs> oh, with yeah, you yeah like no, no, cut no. My balls. 
Anyway, to me, I was sort of like, dude, it's not people just being nicer. And I'm not saying like swear jars and shit, but it was clearly right. a, like a commentary on people being fucking politically correct and how everybody's just like a pussy now. I think Benjamin Breck goes into Sandra Bullock's office and like opens up a can of peanuts and it's like the spring, the snakes pl- fly out at him. And he's like, is there anything in your office that's not contraband? Right. Oh, I know. <laughs> like he just. What, con- like, how is everybody on board for the? And then the other thing is like. They they gain nothing by setting this in 2032 rather than like 2432. Yeah. Except for the fact that one scene Stallone goes up to an old man and is like I remember when you were a fresh-faced young kid. Yeah, yeah. Like other than that, they needed the they connection to be able to be like it's been long enough that th- everything has changed. Up is down and down is up. Taco yeah. Bell is all the restaurants <laughs> and yet not enough time has passed for him to not recognize a guy and be like I remember when you were my age, which is your age, but I, I was older than you, and now you're older than me. Ugh. Fuck you. Another thing is that, like, and this just explains the making of this movie in a big way, where during rehearsals, Wesley Snipes just started reciting his lines in Spanish, and everybody thought it was so funny that they, like, kept it parts of it in the movie, which explains why he's, like, just randomly sometimes speaking in Spanish. He's all over the place. They basically were just like, we're going to let Snipes do whatever the fuck he wants, which is fine because I think it worked and I, it worked in its day. Like like, leave it where it lies. Put a random like blue contact on one of his eyes and they were like, we're really going to make him edgy and like, but meanwhile he's a mass murderer. Yeah. And he's a mass murderer the way like early nineties movie villain mass murderers are where they're like, ah, I love killing. And it's like, who's like He's a real showman. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I also want to mention before we move on, one of the writers of this movie was the writer of Son-in-Law. And he produced Jury Duty. Polly Shore in it. Mm -hmm. Till he dies. So it was like, from Polly Shore people and another guy who wrote Batman Returns comes... What a weird comp. And yet, doesn't that make perfect sense? It does. Having seen Demolition Man, you're like, yeah. Sounds about right. Fuck this movie. (laughs) Big overarching idea is Stallone being cryogenically frozen until, you know, only he can be the one that saves everybody. So he has to be thought out. And I was reading up on whether or not a cryogenically frozen corpse could ever really come back to life. So the general idea is is the hope that advances in science and medicine can one day allow someone to be woken up and cured of the con- conditions that initially killed them. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair yeah, thing to keep want. yourself preserved long enough for the cure. Yeah, but it is clearly much more complicated than just like, I'll freeze myself and then wake up. Well, yeah, because I remember I was talking about this a few episodes ago and the way that the ice crystals form breaks the cells apart and so it actually destroys the cells, but then exactly. we're working on new ways of freezing so quickly that the ice crystals don't form in that way and that you can keep the cell intact. Yeah, yeah, basically. So right now it is possible to cryopreserve animals such as reptiles and amphibians, worms and insects. There were examples of like nematode worms that had been trained to recognize certain smells that retained the memory after being frozen, oh, which wow. is pretty cool. Because that's the idea too, is like you could you could freeze a brain, but can you expect it to work when you thought out? Right. And it is a... It's circuitry. Well, those memories are just like neurons that live there and are physically there. Yeah. And you can preserve those. And in in brains that are as simple, for lack of a better term, as in nematode worms. But there's also examples of like the wood frog freezes into a block of ice during the winter and then hops around the following spring. You Mm. didn't think of like hibernation. I mean, let's first of all talk about what presents the biggest issue is this like freeze-thaw process. That's what 
causes damage to the tissue, such as you, what you were talking about. So mm-hmm. there's this new area of science called cryobiology. And one of the aims is to try to understand and minimize the damage happening. So the two aspects could be broken down into like, during the freezing process, you can modulate the temperatures and you can rely on different cryoprotectants that can inhibit that ice formation. So like different chemicals that you would have to be either kept in or put on the skin, I suppose. I'm not really sure exactly what you would mm-hmm. do, but the the goal is to have like a smooth, rapid cooling transition to like a, a glassy stage, which is known as vitrification rather than a full-on freezing. Well, yeah, in the movie, they kind of like shoot this goo into this chamber that he's in, and then they hit it with electricity or something, and it flash freezes and and everything suddenly stops at once. So I guess they're depicting some kind of super fast cooling. Well, yeah, I mean, and he is sort of in that that glossy stage. I mean, I don't know that in the movie, it seems like it's done within moments. Right, <laughs> but yeah. It's like, and yeah. he's frozen. But not before, like, partially drowning him in the goo. Yeah, that's what <laughs> didn't make sense either, is like, because so there are simple substances such as sugars and starches that have been used to at least change viscosity and protect different cell membranes. Mm. I mean, yeah, you're basically drowning in that. Like, yeah. you are going to suffocate. He does suffocate in the goo. Well, because you need it to freeze your lungs, too. And there, there's different chemicals like dimethyl sulfoxide. Have you heard of that? Dimethyl? <laughs> no. I think it's dimethyl. Dimethyl, dimethyl sulfoxide, DMSO. Give it's a solvent. It's it's a solvent that's a byproduct of the wood industry. Like just different solvents, basically stuff that can even be found in shampoos and conditioners and shit. They're used to prevent that intracell- intracellular ice formation. Mm. It's basically like fucking antifreeze. It's like you have to be For in your this. Blood? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, wow. I mean, so it's this combination of monitoring the temperature change, but then also relying on different chemicals that are going to act as basically like antifreeze in your car. And this is something they've done with nematodes and stuff like that? Yeah. Wow. Well, because, like, you know, it's interesting to think about how in a frozen state, tissues are actually more stable. Like, the certain biochemical reactions, including degeneration are slowed at ultra low temperatures you could you think about like drowning victims that have been revived and the right. cold water is what preserved them yeah you know it's it like you have that working but then also the risk involved is even if you freeze in the right way without fucking up your tissues and and all of the organs and all of that stuff then there's risk of like having hairline fractures and shit that if you have a hairline oh, fracture man. in your heart that's not that's gonna help not you. gonna work yeah, yeah. I guess a lot of this, too, is like when it comes to at least the perspective of preservation for a future cure. Yeah. It's like, you know, do you have a better chance with that potential for the hairline fracture than you do if you just die and decompose it? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly if those resources are there, I don't know why you wouldn't just at least take the risk. Well, a lot of that, too, is like you're relying on people to continue your freezing process Mm -hmm. who are like generations beyond you. Yeah. Still give a shit about like, you know, to maintain it. Yeah. There's so many assumptions. And you're assuming that like governments stay in place (laughs) to be able to like you never know what could happen (laughs) in the world. The fact that they're even taking small steps with like smaller things. We'll talk about different, you know, body parts and and seeing how there are potentials to do this. It's just to freeze an entire human body, including the human brain is crazy. So let's assume you have a safe freezing process. Then you think about the thawing process. It's like you even have to be careful about how you thaw meat, right? Like you can't, there can't be this like drastic change in temperature really quickly. Right. right? People sometimes have a frozen turkey and they need to thaw it within a day. And so they, I think one method is to put it in warm water, which is a little bit more unsafe than just like putting it in your fridge and letting it thaw. 
letting it thaw in the fridge. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what's interesting too is even just like the physical changes and the things that would you would have to do to maintain and you know not fuck up these like delicate structures. It has there's like an epigenetic reprogramming factor. So epigenetics is essentially like how environmental factors and lifestyle choices influence our genes. So yeah. it's like it's like a game of boggle, whatever, and you like shake it up, and it's like it's gonna be a little bit fucked up because ultimately all we are is electric impulses, and then you know systems that are working, and if it's frozen, and I mean I don't know, but to think like even if you were revived, then maybe you'll be different. Right. Like, or like, or like the environment will affect you differently. Like maybe you, now you have asthma or something. I mean, that's a random example that I'm pulling out of my ass, but it's like, yeah. Like what kind of, well, (laughs) yeah. Atmospheric changes happen over a long period of time. I know that this is a particularly ridiculous one, but before the KT event, which is the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs, there was like 30% oxygen in the atmosphere oh. rather than the 17 or so percent that it is now. Oh. And so like, cause worldwide forest fires raged and just burned up most of the oxygen in the atmosphere oh, wow. when that happened. And so you, if you think about it, like if there was some giant effect that occurred, whether it's global warming or something else that changed the way the air is, and you're used to your, the air that you were evolved to, right. if it's a long enough time, it's possible that you would wake up and be like, Oh, give me, Right. Oh, so it's a combination of not only the actual environmental changes that have happened that are going to affect how you from 2017 uh, like deal with it. Right. But also if you then the cells and like what you can handle today in 2017. Right. Also fucked up. Like there's so many fucking variables that might evolve over time. (laughs) And it's like, oh, no, you have an immune system from 2017. You're fucked. Right. Okay. so this all these ideas seem pretty out there, but there are practical applications even today. So like. Cryopreserved and vitrified cells and simple tissues such as eggs, sperm, bone marrow, stem cells, cornea, skin, like those are being regularly thawed and transplanted all the time. Wow. You know, there's work that has started on cryopreservation of simple body parts such as fingers and legs. Some complex organs, including kidney, liver, and intestines, have been cryopreserved, thawed, and successfully retransplanted into an animal This. It looked like in this study it was rats and pigs. Well, that was what I was trying to talk about when I I was talking about cryogenics a while ago was this whole organ preservation concept Mm -hmm. and that like we throw out half of the organs before they reach their destination. A heart lasts about four hours before it can get to its destination. If we can increase that to eight hours, which this technology could definitely do, then you would remove the entire list of people right. who need organs. It's like how many organs are wasted for people that that could have used them if, if not for that time limit. Yeah. A lot of it is it incorporates nanotechnology, which we've talked about too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this idea that these like tiny artificial molecular structures can and machines can one day like repair all sorts of different ailments. We're just turning ourselves into immortal beings. Basically. But you, the, the last thing to put a button on this is, again, we're talking about how complicated it is to successfully freeze and thaw an entire human body and all of its crazy workings. But the biggest hurdle or one of the biggest hurdles is to brain freeze. You know what I mean? To brain freeze. That's my rap name. Yeah, it's a brain freeze because it's Uh, you know it's again it's not just like physically freezing the brain but then in order to preserve like regulatory function memory like there's a lot of expectation there so So you're saying eating an ice cream too fast is not going to work for me it might be good prep bigger and bigger cones yeah and then just get brain freeze and then they'll be ready to it's training season (laughs) preserve me i think with certain neurodegenerative diseases especially it's Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of ethical questions that are raised because then would you maybe before you lost all your memory, would you want to be frozen? Right, right. Are, it's like, here, you have early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah. We should freeze Fuck you it. now? Yeah. 
That's an interesting. So that's you know, question. and like all of this, like right, somebody having the right to their life or like a right to end their life. Yeah, a right to be frozen. Like it just raises so many crazy questions. So that yeah, because I, I guess in for. theory they're not ending their life. They're right. preserving it, but they're choosing to no longer live today. Exactly. And what is a life? <laughs> what is consciousness? What is all of it? Are you alive? If you're, I mean, yeah. You know, so that's why it's a little bit out there. But fuck. Well, freezing stuff little by little. We got some real moral dilemmas coming down the pike. You want to hear about some metal foam? <laughs> sure, man. What's what's the <laughs> impetus for that again? So in the movie, he gets into this car accident and suddenly like foam shoots out all over oh, the right. car. Yeah, and like, just, I mean, I'm just... always down to talk about metal foam. <laughs> yeah, but... Exactly. So we don't have anything like that, although we do kind of have this foam stuff that's for fire retardant okay. materials. Right, but... right. I did, in my research, find this thing called metal foam, okay. which is really a very strong metal, but it's kind of got like a bubbly structure inside. Mm-hmm. It's like recast aluminum, and it's lighter and stronger than regular aluminum and absorbs impacts a lot more efficiently. So people are trying to get this material into like bumpers yeah. and on cars and stuff like that. They said that a car accident at 28 miles per hour should feel more like a five mile per hour crash in, okay. with this. They also want to use it in knee replacements and stuff like that, and they want to use it in body armor. I saw this video of a bullet test where the bullet got obliterated. Like, I don't know how to describe this. It's like the bullet, as soon as it touches this material, it's like it was made of glass and just shattered into dust. What? Like, I don't know if the force of the impact would still be felt by, like, the person who's wearing right. that or, like, how well it dampens that, but the bullet just turned into dust. Like, it didn't go well, into... Well, it makes sense to me, but, I mean, even we're talking about nanotechnology on, like, a really small mm-hmm. scale, if you have a substance that can brace for impact... And it's got these, like, hexagonal bullet, bu- oh, bubbles in as an internal structure so we may be using this like metal foam concept all over the place i mean doesn't it seem a little crazy that in 2017 we're still using like airbags yeah and it seems like i mean of course and it's logical right and it's like well what what would you do like until this kind of material it seems like no Mm -hmm. you just have a fucking pillow that explodes and hopefully you don't get whiplash and like you probably will get a black eye from it exploding in your fucking face yeah yeah you want to get to a place where you're making a car out of material that like can absorb impacts right in an insane way well and also you know we're moving towards cars that drive for themselves right like that have the sensors protection yeah exactly so Mm -hmm. i think this is certainly in the interim great because it's like you know how how many meaningless injuries that people sustain for their basically entire lives because of like stupid fender benders Mm -hmm. it's like that hits you wrong and just because the impact was so intense and at the right angle it's like and you didn't go get it checked out yeah because you're like back is funky for the rest of your life yeah i remember doing a story about a car that like if you accidentally hit a pedestrian the pedestrian sticks to the ca- the the flypaper, for lack of a better oh. term, on the front of your car, so that you can avoid like running them over or whatever. And they just fucking stick to your car. What? Yeah. Like embedded in your hood. Yeah. Um, Is that not safer? Imbe- not embedded, but it's like they they stick to you until it sounds like. Well, then what's the process of you getting the yeah, person like, off? Because like they would, you would have to. Let's see fly paper and they're like ripping their skin off your thing that that seems like it's worse for the pedestrian google Google patents pedestrian fly paper for self-driving cars wow i mean you know i i this is one of those where i'm like you know i I like you for trying (laughs) but it's like the idea of somebody not being able to just kind of like bounce off like of all the Mm -hmm. the scenarios yes i wouldn't want to be run over if somebody already hit me with the car because there's problems there if someone hits you with a fucking car yes but 
I would think you would want to like. You want it to be like a bouncy ball material. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) It's like you. What's the alternative? Because then, what if you end up? What if the person's fucking driving through a goddamn bank side window so that they can do a robbery, point break style? You know, (laughs) and everything just sticks to it. What I'm saying is, if the idea is to like save the person that you've hit Mm -hmm. from getting run over, being on the end of a car that is then you're driving through. It does seem like you get stuck to the hood, and then it's like their car is still out of control and smashes into a wall. I don't know. I mean, I guess I gotta, I gotta see studies of whether or not that is safer for yeah. somebody. I guess I'm. I mean, I'm just thinking about. It. I just because I mean, it's counterintuitive, but a lot of things that make sense ultimately are counterintuitive. Yeah, it just seems like someone would stick to it, even if it was like minor, and then be like, "Hang on, gotta get the industrial glue." Yeah, let me get the jaws of life to pull them out. Leave my great, my good khakis. <laughs> Science. On that front of just, like, everyday materials being used for extraordinary things, I remembered this thing called Sharklet. Mm-hmm. And Sharklet Technologies is this company that realized that bacteria doesn't seem to grow on shark's skin the way it does on normal surfaces. Mm-hmm. And it actually doesn't have to do with their body fighting it off or anything. It has to do with the structure of the shark's skin. Okay. They created a surface that's covered with microscopic diamond-shaped bumps. And bacteria basically can't grow on it. It doesn't stop bacteria completely, like 100%, but they want to put this on every surface in a hospital because more than 90% less bacterial growth on every surface that has this. And it like feels like a normal wall because it's microscopic diamond-shaped cool. bumps. But Fuck. I just love that like it, it doesn't have anything to do with like a chemical or anything like that. It's just if you make little tiny bumps on the surface, then bacteria can't grow on it it's like it's hard to think in microscopic terms all the time but it's like ultimately these are just structures mm-hmm. on a very very tiny scale but so yeah, wait, they just you, can't like form a colony right so like practical application you said could be on like used inside homes and stuff homes or? hospitals i wow. mean first hospitals because right, like sure. you know there's bacteria around there and you're touching every surface and if mm-hmm. the surface just couldn't really have bacteria grow on right, it, it then would, yeah. you know door handles like you name it cool. everything in a hospital should be made out of this sterile as fuck yeah i'm sure we'll talk more about this next week because we're gonna do mimic too and this is kind of biomimicry stuff yeah mimic as well not mimic too we're not gonna subject (laughs) you guys to that yeah good clarification mimic one was enough but yeah shark skin's a crazy thing it's like inspired aerodynamic cars it's used in swimsuits for olympic swimmers Shark skin, the actual... Shark. Oh, well, fine. like, stuff based on shark right. skin. Right, so I that's don't what I like. like. Oh, because I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Do I have to worry about the furs yeah, and the like, sharks? exactly. Like, I've got to worry about a lot. Science. I have a random topic. Bring it on. <laughs> in the sense that it doesn't have anything to do with like the overarching themes in Demolition Man but fucking Simon Phoenix introduces us to him by bungee jumping out of a fucking helicopter at the the beginning and I was just like wait I just realized bungee jumping out of a helicopter seems like a bad idea because don't you want a fixed point that you're jumping from when you're bungeeing. Is that your point of Simon yes, Phoenix? Yes, it is. <laughs> That's Everything issue. else he had going for him, it was like, this guy lives in reality yeah. along with all of us. <laughs> anyway, so I was looking into some of the, the origins, bungee origins. Vanuatu is an ar- ar- archipelago? Is archipelago. I think it's archipelago. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So Vanuatu is an archipelago in the southern Pacific. It is perhaps best known for its starring role in 2004's Survivor, Vanuatu. 
<laughs> I, sure, okay. Plug there. That's what this article needed me to know. I was like, sure, I've heard of the everybody watched the Survivor, so we're gonna use this as your. It's one personal of those like reference. not everybody watches it, but like everybody knows what it is. That's everybody what I think. Knows that they, like season six of Survivor, right. where that took 2004's place. Two famous and why Survivor an archipelago right. is famous. Right, totally. So Vanuatu's Pentecost Island is home of the death-defying religious ceremony known as Nagal, a.k.a. land diving, that inspired modern-day bungee jumping. Land so, diving. Mm-hmm. So Vanuatuans construct... <laughs> I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just have no idea how to say that without sounding like a goober. Anyway, so these <laughs> folks construct 75-foot-tall wooden towers and village centers. And I don't know... There's a couple of varying like mythologies that I found, but this seems to make sense. The the Vanuatan males, they tie these long elastic vines around their ankles, and then on one or two days in late spring, they jump. The islanders believe that as the men's hair brushes against the ground at the, the nadir, the lowest point of their fall, it fertilizes the soil and helps ensure a bountiful yam crop. What? That's right. So they're trying to get their heads as close as possible to this ground. Without bashing their heads into the soil, I guess. Wow. So the idea is the men line up to dive, the crowds dance and sing below, and before they jump, the men raise their arms in a signal that silences the crowd and, quote, as if acknowledging that their next act may be their last, they reveal their most private thoughts. Then they clap their hands, cross their arms in a corpse pose, and take the plunge. At the bottom, assuming the diver survives, male relatives untie his ankles and flip him right side up, and the cheers, you know, of the crowd ensue. I, w- I wonder what so kind like of like private thing. thoughts yeah. they're sharing. And like, it's like, Yo. I actually love you. Oh, oh shit. shit, I survived yeah. this? Yeah. Oh, no. Remember when you asked about who shit in your bed that one time at the party? That, that was, was me. me. <laughs> Cross my arms, hope to die. You actually oh. hope to die. So that seems logical in the sense that people do all sorts of things for their beliefs. I yeah, mean, sure, yeah. I could see that. Well, I would have thought that it was more based in like, and it makes them taller. Not yeah. like it fertilizes the soil with their hair. Oh, but I mean, sacrifices for the crops yeah, and yeah. sacrifices to the gods well, for maybe, all sorts of things. Maybe and... they just had like crazy dreads. But it also just seemed like you could see how it could easily... <laughs> can't even (laughs) and you could also see how it would be like you know a coming of age thing because you are risking your death if you survive good for you yeah okay i found another legend that's what bar mitzvahs are they you risk your life (laughs) the jewish equivalent is you know everybody being like hey do they throw you up on a chair they do throw you up on a chair that's what i've seen that is i guess risking your life yeah because usually it's like your brother who's not strong (laughs) enough and like yeah he's trying to mess with you and he's he's like 12 years old so he's like oh man yeah bro doesn't have the best buys and tries so you're not sure (laughs) exactly okay so here's another legend i found that seemed a little you know it's a little bit more simplistic also, this is the, the, the myth of a native that was abusing his wife, and so she decided to run away. She then decides to climb a tall tree to hide, but then he finds her and he climbs after her. She ties up lianas, which I assume are some whatever long flower type plant. Sure. Sure, liana. Liana. She ties them around her ankles and she jumps from the tree. The native guy dump, jumps after her, hits the ground, and dies. And from that day, men in the village started practicing jumping with lianas so women couldn't outwit men ever again. So then they constructed these 28-meter <laughs> high towers for jumping. Before the jump, every man has this ritual bath, and then he climbs the tower. His wife is brought to the tower where she has to listen to his complaints in front of the whole village. What? Just listen to his grievances. <laughs> and then after the speech, and he has don't. to jump head down to prove his manlyhood. I was like, sure, man. I wouldn't put it back any civilization to be like yeah bring her around be like hey i hate how you made that eggplant right because that's what i'm sure what the i'm sure twins are eating airing grievances in front of a society and then jumping off of a cliff yeah. could you imagine just like airing all your dirty laundry and being like so fuck you i hate my manager at yeah. work 
you guys suck. That's the history, I guess. But then, like, in 1950, David Attenborough brought his BBC cameras there, and so the West got their... 1950? Yeah, that was, like, the first Attenborough is fucking old. He's still at it, guy. His voice sounded the same then as it does now. I know. I just don't understand. (laughs) He's like, Maggie Smith just does not age. (laughs) Yeah. But then, oh, my God. So this is where he gets just fucking... What? Not on April Fool's Day of 1979, Uh-oh. onlookers at the Clifton Suspension Bridge in Bristol, England, witnessed what appeared to be a suicide. So this guy, David Kirk, he was 33 at the time. He was dressed in a top hat and tails with a bottle of champagne, does a backflip off of the bridge 250 feet above the River Avon. Three similarly tuxedoed friends, members of what they called the Dangerous Sports Club, made the jump. What? So when the police arrived, the four were hanging from the ends of their homemade elastic ropes. They were arrested, fined, and they instantly became overnight celebrities. That was an April Fool's joke. Yeah. (laughs) Real bad taste. But to have witnessed that for the first time, you would be like, yeah! Yeah, I would kind of be like, holy shit. (laughs) So cool. I learned, okay, so then I did some reading The Dangerous Boys Club? What was that? The Dangerous... (laughs) Dangerous Lost Boys yeah. Sports Club. The, the, the little rascal. <laughs> first rule of Dangerous Sports Club is just remain very polite while you do it. T- your tuxedo and tails. Yeah. Apparently, Monty Python's Graham Chapman was a member, the most famous Wait, member. Wait, how big? Was this not like a group of five dudes who just I called themselves this? I think it like expanded. It's like, like the original jackass. Those guys have so many friends, dude. There's just like one bozo oh, that pops yeah. in to like, you know, get thrown around in a porta potty. So and it then- became like the, like basically skateboarding culture is kind of like yeah. the. Yeah. So they, because Dangerous Sports Club also did a bunch of other shit. They tried hang gliding from active volcanoes. They, <laughs> <laughs> they did base jumping, and they even experimented. They even experimented with a human catapult capable of tossing a person 55 feet into the air in just 1.9 seconds. However, that last one figured prominently in a 2002 manslaughter trial. Oh, man. Because this Oxford student that was being the guinea pig in this, he was being launched from a, is it trebuchet? Yeah. Okay, he was being launched from a trebuchet by former Dangerous Sports Club members David Aitkenhead and Richard Wicks. And it was set up to launch a subject around 30 meters into a safety net, but it fucking fell short and he suffered severe spinal and leg injuries and died five hours later. And so the two Aitkenhead and Wicks were charged with manslaughter but were acquitted on grounds of insufficient evidence. Whoa. Yeah. How, so, so is this still going today? This I dangerous think that, sports club? I think that pretty much put the kibosh on the old 2002. I, I haven't heard any tales of dangerous sports clubs since, but right. maybe but I have somebody heard of in the extreme audience. Extreme sports. Yeah, totally. But I mean, in that in that idea, like daredevils, that like this concept has been a thing for so long. It's yeah. just crazy to be like, we're the dangerous sportsmen. Yeah. Well, I get. Yeah. I mean, once you realize that a bungee cord exists yeah somebody's gonna be you're gonna fuck with it and especially if like people in the west had never seen something like that of course it's gonna look like somebody jumped off a bridge and then you see him hanging there being like yeah "Yeah." holding his champagne (laughs) like i'll pop the cork (laughs) yeah quite a showman fuck so on the subject of really ancillary things to this movie There's a moment where Sandra Bullock in 2032 says, oh man, I love watching old laser discs of Sylvester Stallone's character. Oh, God. So right. they have laser discs in the future. It's True. a big thing. And But to them, that's even old. Right. So I knew of laser disc. I kind of knew generally what it was. Okay. First of all, the first laser discs, the first laser, laser disc. <laughs> laser discs. The first laser disc player was called the Disco Vision. Yes. 
So it's already worth talking about. Yes. Just going to throw a flick on the Disco Vision. Yo, like, hey, you got some Disco Vision? I fucking I love that. It was sold starting in 1978, which is a lot earlier than I thought. Disco Times. And it had, yeah, Disco Times. And it had a much better quality, but was destroyed by VHS. And the reason oh. is VHS was really cheap and people didn't care about the video quality. Totally. And the other thing was there were you can record home videos on a VHS and so you couldn't record right. to a laser disc. Totally. And on top of that, apparently there was only about 60 minutes per side of the disc. So you had to oh. flip it halfway through a movie. It was just so ahead of its time. <laughs> right. it, it did not have the technological advances for what it wanted no. to be. No. And there were players that could auto flip for the sides, yeah. but like those were rare. But I did find a really old thread on the internet oh God. for the late 90s of people being like, so this new DVD thing, it seems like it's better than Laserdisc. You don't have to get up and flip the, flip the disc halfway through. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. And a bunch of people are responding like, is flipping discs that big of a problem for oh, you? No. Like, is it? It's a built-in intermission. I love it. I'm a laser discer, so I, I mean, I'm just thinking back on the the time when DVD was first coming out, and mm. I was very like poo-pooing it, you know. And really? I was, uh, yeah, for no fucking reason. In retrospect, I'm like, it is has nothing to do with anything except for the fact that I was uncomfortable with it, which I I, I think ultimately is at the the root of a lot of people's just hesitance. like change. Yeah, the fact that it this was idea different. that I was like, why I've already right. got this. It was sort of like an it ain't broke, don't fix it, but for no reason. Like, very rebel right. without a causey. Right. Just because it's like, but I've been used, I've seen videotapes my entire life, and so this idea of, like, this thing, yeah. this freaks me out, let alone when fucking Blu-ray came out, let alone, you know, yeah. the, when the iPod came out, I was like, right. hey, no, I have a special <laughs> well, yeah, relationship with each individual CD. I bought it from Sam Goody, mm -hmm. you know. It's and a, it's the same thing as, like, digital books, and everybody's yeah. like, put the paper. And yeah. it's like, but, you know, uh, there's enough We've had this conversation so many yeah. times, and it's just like, when you really get to the root of it, of just being like mm -hmm. you are just uncomfortable with change and right. the sooner that you address that the better because chapter markers yeah what is that being this? said the laser disc because it's like don't force something that doesn't work i mean right. if something if you're in the middle of a movie you don't want to have to fucking like flip it that's I, not a i get it from the perspective of like they were clearly looking at it like the way vinyl records were yeah and to the point where it was the size of a vinyl record and oh so just thinking about like a shelf full of movies oh that were giant CDs the size of vinyl records. It's just a, like a parallel universe. But also, I just love old school ways of looking at the future because they're yeah. still operating within the world as they know it. It's also funny how like sometimes people jump on early adopter technologies mm -hmm. like that and then get burned yeah. because the first Laserdisc in America was the movie Jaws, and apparently Spielberg felt so fucked over by the whole Laserdisc experience that he really was a huge holdout on putting his movies on DVD. And oh. so, like, one of the last directors to allow his movies to go on to DVD was Spielberg because he was like, this is Laserdisc all God. over again. God, it's like, it's weird enough being our generation. Imagine him, where it's like, he's actively still in the game, and it's like, you've got to fucking adapt, bro, and you've been, like, you have run the gamut of, like, Cinematech. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, uh, Like, I mean, for someone like James Cameron, is like, oh, I fucking love it. Yeah, he was, like, yeah. creaming his shorts all the time, but... Anyway. <laughs> Simon Phoenix has two different colored eyes because that's edgy and cool.
Yeah. Well, yeah, they got to give him some like villain bent. Yeah, exactly. So he dresses well, you know, he's got his his hair game is on point, but he also has two different colored eyes. And I was just like wanting to read about that. And it's called heterochromia. So hetero means different and chromia means colors. Mm -hmm. That's cool if you break it down. But heteros are so different. Yeah, but chromia colors. I like that. Okay, heterochromia iridis it refers to the iris of the eye not just different colored anything but specifically the eye so the amount of melanin in the iris determines whether we have blue eyes green eyes hazel or brown blue eyes have the least amount of melanin in the iris brown eyes have the most obviously it's usually like benign and it's generally is it ever not benign Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, yeah. Ooh. So you, you think about there's like certain breeds of dog, for example, that commonly exhibit heterochromia. There's like huskies and mm-hmm. Great Danes, Border Collies. They often have that. In some cases, a symptom of another condition that's present at birth or perhaps like develops later on is Horner's syndrome, which is a combination of a constricted pupil. There's partial ptosis, P-T-O-S-I-S. How do you say that when P and T are together? Ptosis? Ptosis. It's basically droopy eyelid. I don't know if it's like oh. full on lazy eye, but like droopy eyelid and loss of the ability to sweat on half of the face. That's all caused by an interruption of certain nerve impulses to the eye. So, so it, half of your face gets sweaty. Yeah. Huh. Isn't that weird? That is weird. But it's, I mean, I, when you think about like strokes and shit, like, I, I don't know, like yeah. there's so much weird circuitry going on in your fucking face. <laughs> Whew. Yeah. And then there's like acquired heterochromia that could be as a result of eye injuries and certain glaucoma medications. There's, have you heard of Latisse? There's this thing no. called Latisse. It's a repurposed glaucoma medication that's now used primarily as a cosmetic agent to thicken eyelashes. But it can also cause the iris to, to change color. And then there's a famous example of David Bowie. He has anascoria, which is, is not heterochromia. So sometimes this condition called antiscoria can make people look like they have two different colored eyes when they don't. It's actually characterized by unequal pupil sizes, and it affects about 20% of the population. So the color is the same, but the pupil sizes it's are different? It's just like permanently dilated. Now, Whoa. most cases it's also benign, and it's like this, the difference is very small. Like mm-hmm. we're talking like less than a millimeter difference between between the right and the left eye. But maybe like as a result of nerve palsy or a traumatic eye injury, they, the difference could be a lot bigger. In David Bowie's case, when he was a teenager, he got into a fight with a buddy over a girl they were both into. Oh, really? And his buddy socked him in his left eye and the injury left his pupil permanently dilated. So it's always looked like he had two different colored eyes, but it's just that one eye got is really face. fucking dilated. Yeah. So wow. Apparently, the boy who landed the punch, George Underwood, ended up being his lifelong friend and artistic collaborator. So they didn't let, you know, hoes come before bros. (laughs) You ready for sodas? Mm -hmm. So this movie is all about the dumbing down of society and treating people like children. Mm -hmm. And in 2012, New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg introduced a bill that would ban sodas larger than 16 ounces. And it was rejected by the courts and dropped by 2014. But in 2012, there was an immediate backlash. And people were like, what's next? Limits on the width of a pizza slice? Uh-huh. You know, the size of a burger? The amount of cream cheese on a bagel? Right. Which, that would be bad. I use a lot of cream cheese on a bagel. Whoa. But the point Bloomberg was making was that you could still have 32 ounces of soda. They're just saying you can't buy it all in one cup. Like, if you want it, they have to serve it to you in two cups. 
I mean, McDonald's did get rid of the supersize, mm-hmm. which they claim was not related to the movie Supersize Me, yet happened shortly after mm-hmm. that movie was released and became a big deal. It's obviously more nuanced than it seems because it's not just like nanny state nonsense. Right. It's It really boils down to what you think the, the government's role is in, in public health, you know? Right, right. Because uh, it's, the, it's this kind of problem where like it comes from a good place, but to somebody who's just like a schmo out in the world is like, don't tell me what I can and can't do. And yet it's like, dude, the government tells you what you can and can't do all the time. So it's like this interesting right. drawing of lines. I certainly think in the realm of food, it's extra muddy because like we have decades of the food industry just like misinforming people mm-hmm. and and really people shouldn't be having that much soda. It's just about whether or not you think the government has the right to tell you not to. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of would look at that almost like it's a cigarette tax. Yeah. You know, it makes sense to me to tax vices. Yeah. And eating food is not a vice because that's something that we all need to do. But eating excess food is a vice. Yeah. And so maybe, you know, the portion sizes in America are way bigger than portion sizes in Europe. Right. It's increased over the last 30 years while childhood obesity rates have tripled. Mm-hmm. Though, you know, we were talking about recently that those numbers are probably based off of the body mass index, right. which we've established is kind of bullshit. But it's a rule of thumb. A 2011 paper in the Journal of Nutrition uses national surveys to study the diets of more than 30,000 kids, and they measure how their junk food habits have changed from 1977 to 2006. Mm -hmm. And they found that soft drink proportions have increased almost a third. You know, there was a time where a king size soft drink was 12 ounces, which is a can of soda. But that's the thing is it's like, you know, we were talking about BMI as being flawed system of determining whether or not somebody is obese. But it's like you can tell childhood diabetes is a big, big, big problem. And we're learning more and more about sugar. So it's like, yeah, I I think that would be the play where it's like we, we live in a society where our taxes should go for something for me who has occasionally participated in in vice like behavior like I acknowledge that if I buy a pack of cigarettes, a lot of that tax is is coming because I'm buying cigarettes. Yeah. It's just sort of a social contract thing. But I th- also think it's like if nobody is paying attention to people's health, who who's going to? I mean, right. it, it's I don't know. It's a question of like what's better for society and like. Well, we also have like a thing about finishing our plate. You're like I bought this whole soda. I should mm-hmm. drink it all. And, and, it's and like, getting more bang for your buck and mm-hmm, getting value mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. We're so about getting more for less. And we'll, like we'll not think about that element of it, our health, mm-hmm. when we're making those choices. Right. And it wasn't just sodas and fruit drinks that increased over the last 30 years. The energy content of cheeseburgers have increased by a quarter. Pizza slices jump 35% and portions of Mexican food by even more than that. Right. But the thing is, like, soda in particular is weird because people generally regulate their caloric intake without thinking. Like, Mm. if you overeat at one meal, you'll just inherently not eat as much at the next meal. Mm. But soda doesn't work that way. Like, soda will give you as much energy as a candy bar or mashed potatoes, but you're much less likely to compensate for it at the next meal. It goes right through you. I mean, mm-hmm. you basically piss it out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, and that's the bit, I think, the the biggest misinformation campaign and even, you know, more research that's done about sugar because, like, with fruit juices and shit, people are really, I think, for the most part, thinking that they're doing something good for themselves because right. they're drinking fruit juice. But it's right. like, but without the actual fruit that is the fiber that is why fruit right. is good for you, it's just sugar. And your body doesn't know what to do with it. So it either stores it as fat or it gives you fucking diabetes. And 
I think the problem is, is then at the same time, there's this sense of like coastal elites telling people what they can do. And right. then also this like combination of we shouldn't be fat shaming people either. So it's the, it gets really muddled because then when people are like, I'm going to eat whatever the fuck I want. It's like, well, it's not about that. You know, it's like well, the it's, thing is like. It wasn't stopping you from getting the drink that you wanted. Yeah, you just have to do it in you just two, have to do it in two fold and, and look like of... a big fatty. And you know, it's like <laughs> I, guess. I get why people would have issues with having to order two. I mean, mentally, it, I guess, but about issues of ordering two plane tickets because you can't sit in one seat because it's too small. I feel like I would be humiliated by that. Yeah, and people are and do that. And that's right. a thing that like they're forced into doing. And Because uh, we don't apply anything in this world blanketly. Right. Like, we don't approach everything in the same way. But I do think that the soda ban makes more sense and wouldn't be a real infringement on your... I'm all fucking for it. I'm yeah. just trying to look at it from different angles. Because I, I, I think at least understanding the other side. Oh, I but totally also, let's that, be very clear. It's a nanny state stupid thing. Right. But also, I feel like... I'm sure there's just general citizens that have issues with this, but I would guarantee the soda companies are the ones that have oh, the biggest my stake in the game. I mean, yeah. I mean, they're the ones that are like being like, you're really impinging on people's freedoms mm-hmm. and they're blah, blah, blah. It's like, mm-hmm. you're a poison company. Like, let's own it. I love a fucking cold Coca-Cola, man. There's something that is just so delightful I had about one that. with lunch. It was Dude, amazing. I get it. But it's also painful. I fucking work at a restaurant. It's really hard seeing people ordering four Sprites or Cokes for their kid. Right. And I'm giving it to them. Right. You know, like there is a but weird moral thing. But at least they like thing. hit the end of the, each glass and decide whether they want more again yeah. rather than it just being this giant glass that yeah. they continuously drink down. It's why like when you're gambling, you're supposed to walk away from the table and take breaks uh-huh. at various points is just so that you can like reassess yeah, I don't think that gambling situations are set up like that at all. I think they're no. Completely I'm saying set up. people are need to do that themselves. Oh, right. They're set up to combat you. Like they want, they don't have clocks around so that right. you don't know how much time has passed. Oh, so that's like, what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah. I think on equal on mm-hmm. equal fronts in terms of it being like warfare. Like right. you're basically exactly. having <laughs> yeah, to work yeah. against like companies being like mm-hmm. drink, consume, consume, consume. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's all I'm saying is it's like if people got the sense that the government was more on their side and it is really about it's not us telling you what you should do it's like people are poisoning you and you're right. letting it happen because of, of what you call freedom and that's just crazy well i also looked into places where they do tell you what to do okay with all the bands that are in this movie i looked into dancing bands mm. we're not gonna end up doing footloose so now is the perfect time to talk about it uh-huh. the bands range from silly to incredibly fucked up because mm. japan had a public dancing ban in place since the 1940s Oof. and it was only removed last year for a lot of reasons But one of the main ones is that the 2020 Olympics are going to be there and people are going to want to (laughs) dance. Germany outlaws dancing every Easter weekend out of respect for the holiday's religious significance. Fuck that, dude. In Kuwait, barely any movement is allowed at a concert beyond clapping your hands and swaying. And in Sweden, bars, clubs, and restaurants require a license to allow people to dance. It's like, like a liquor license, but for dancing. And, you know, apparently in that country, quote, Moving your feet to music is illegal. Now, all of that we can, I think we can agree is preposterous. Yeah. I mean, a a lot of these places have laws on the books, but don't really enforce them. I mean, it's all like these fucking stupid ass draconian religious in its history, I'm sure, kind of thing of just Mm. like, you know, swaying your body is just enticing the sexual Well, a quote that I always remembered from my junior and high school English teacher Mm -hmm. was, dancing is a vertical expression of a horizontal desire. 
Sure. Which I, I mean, think is yeah. appropriate. I mean, on one hand, it's like, I disagree in the sense that it's like classical forms. Or like, there's a lot. Like, you can tell all sorts of stories mm-hmm. with that. But ultimately, and we're talking about dancing like in a club to music right. or dancing at a show. Right. You're really close in with a lot of people. You're rubbing against but Yeah, you're like, mm-hmm. I want to see if we've got that sexual chemistry before we go home and fuck. Like, w- we get it. Right. It's crazy <laughs> to think that in 2017... That that's still a thing. Or, like, why would you even have a goddamn outdoor concert that it's, like, you can simply sway and be, like, well, like, golf claps. on the really fucked up end of this, in Afghanistan, people have been killed by the Taliban for dancing and enjoying music. Right. You know? Exactly. It's, it's like, like, some places they just want to stop you. You know, we were talking about the legality of, like, non-penis and vagina sex. Totally. And that there's a lot of places in America that don't allow it. Right. But... How enforced are those things is another question. Yeah. This is one area of my privilege that I'm okay with with owning up to, of mm-hmm. like living in America where it's like, that is laughable. I'm like, I did competitive dance for many years of my life. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and not only that, but I love going to concerts. It's like, it is one of the most human terrestrial things. It's all I can explain is like, I, I don't like know why I'm doing this, but this is getting me through my life right now. I do feel like music and dancing is the oldest art form. <laughs> Totally. Like maybe storytelling predates it, but yeah, I mean, I mean mu- they got to be one in the same. Musical instruments that have been made out of like the earth, and like that is an ev- evolution of of our humanity, mm-hmm. and it's just, and part of our humanity is fucking, and so that's oh, yeah. the, the element that's so ridiculous too is like knowing where these traditions come from but then also acknowledging like why are you so opposed to people (laughs) grinding on each other yeah everybody just wants to grind i just want to grind on another angle russia has outlawed cursing in movies books and music and that was like a couple years ago but even here in america we have stuff like this oh yeah in 2014 ocean city maryland banned swear words and signs reading no profanity please are posted on every block of the boardwalk right i mean that's one area though too where it's like there's so many different communities and it's it's hard to have this like cohesive national identity right. because I also want to own up to the fact that it's like I don't expect everybody to be like me. So if you have a community where you're like, you know what, I would feel better if people weren't just like saying shit and fuck all day, every day, which right. is what I do. I get that. But then there's, you know, the judgy side of me that's like, grow the fuck up. Right. Well, that's the thing, because they can't actually outlaw profanity. So there's no punishment for swearing. But they're trying to create the, quote, family image there. Right. So I say, uh, like very not First Amendment, you know, yeah. and that I think guess that's my biggest issue. But I'm also not, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I'm like, I'm a diehard constitutionalist. It's like this nation is so fucking. Yeah. We, we don't even know what we're doing anymore. Science. Well, do you have any favorite lines? I mean, the whole thing. There were so many lines, dude. I, I kind of loved that, like, they turned to, like, an oldies station at one point, And he's like, it's wall-to-wall mini-tunes. You call them commercials. Oh, right. They because like, they had, like, jingles. Like, you know, because people in the future don't have any sense of, like, art anymore. People don't create things in the future anymore. Because yeah. Taco Bell has taken over, and everybody's fine with that. At least tell us what the shells do. Yeah. And, well, I did read that the writer was like... Yeah, with, with the shells thing, basically, I was, like, looking for something for him to do in the bathroom, and then I called up my friend across town who happened to be taking a shit, and the friend was like, I don't know, there's a bag of seashells in here for, like, decoration or something, and he was like, yeah, I'll do something with that. 
that sounds about right, doesn't it? Well, then he followed that up with like, so I'm never going to tell you the real secret of what it is, which he did. There is none. There is none. It <laughs> meant nothing. Feeling. It is a show about nothing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> what do we have coming up next? Next, we're doing Mimic. So you can find us at oh, that's a thing.com, oh, that's a thing on Facebook and Twitter, and oh, that's a thing at gmail.com. I'm at It's a Joy Amia on Twitter. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman on Twitter. We would love to hear from you guys, and seriously, it means a lot to us if you like and review just so that we can fucking get out there, man. We're just faking it till we make it, you know? Yeah, we're definitely faking it. <laughs> that seems clear, but making it, let's do that too. Till, until that requires your guys' help. <laughs> We would do it for you. We anyway, would. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.